Yo, what's up, y'all? Today we got Max from T, who is the original uh, founder and maintainer of Homebrew. Uh, awesome conversation. I got to learn a lot. Uh, I think you guys will dig this one. So let us know. Thanks, y'all. Tell me about like yourself. Like, how did you? Okay, so like, just tell me about sort of before Apple, before you kind of started your thing. Yeah, um, it's fun actually because I had a Twitter Spaces with um, someone yesterday who uh, we got into programming like very much the same way. And him and me, we worked on one of the, the first projects for me. Uh, for him, turns out he'd been doing open source a lot longer. Um, but you know, the story goes back to there because, uh, you know, I, when I was uh, a kid, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And, uh, my, uh, mum had a way of, uh, insisting that certain jobs were better than others, you know, <laughs> uh, which was very influential to me. Uh, I have a kid now and I'm going to make sure not to do the same thing at all. Uh, even now obviously there's certain things I think he would really do well out but you know you learned so I ended up doing science I did a chemistry degree and uh, I thought I was going to be a scientist and it was while I did my first year in the industry I uh, went home for Christmas had a few days away from the lab and I realised that I hated it I don't know why but it it took it took me to get a step away for me to realise that I was really not enjoying it and then I pictured like my career going forwards being this one where I would go to the same lab every day and use the same machine and I'd measure the same things and then I'd like release papers about the most boring things imaginable and uh, a bunch of other very boring people would pat me on the back and say, well done, you advanced science by 0.01%. I'd be like, oh. So um, I became depressed and didn't know what to do with myself and it was in that time that I installed Linux on my computer as we know it's time this is like 2003 or something like that and uh you know so windows was huge and linux wasn't and microsoft hated linux at the time and uh, the mac was like basically unused completely right and uh programming had been a thing that i had been doing as a hobby for years so i just sort of rediscovered it and discovered open source through linux and the, the, the guy i was talking about earlier we worked on this music player together with another person and I discovered like how awesome it is to have a bunch of people that are working on something simply because they love it not because they've been forced to work on it because their uh, employer is paying their salary and they go home and they complain about their work all day to their spouse or their family and they look forward to the weekend we got up worked until we were dead I did a few 36 hour days on that project where like after about 18 hours of starting to feel tired so I'd have some coffee and then I'd get a fresh wind and then I'd stream through to the next morning and then I'd just collapse in bed and do like 12, 14 hours of sleep. So obviously I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a real job at this time. I was back there with my parents, but it got me into open source and what, you know, that what was possible, it just felt like we were all together trying to build the internet. We were trying to make 
a world of software that uh, anyone could hack on any part of it and like build things together. Uh, so it was very addictive. So I kept doing it. I kept living with my parents, and like, eventually they kicked me out. <laughs> they were like, go and find a real job. And uh, fortunately, the music player that me and this guy and this other guy were working on was, uh, it's gone really popular. I got really big, and there was a company in London called Lost Fam that uh, loved it. Uh, they were in the music web two space, so uh, I managed to get a job there without actually having, uh, you know, any qualifications from the code I taught online, what we built, uh, which you know got me into the industry, and uh, that was uh, I was twenty four or twenty five at that point, and uh, yeah, since then done the done a lot of open source and uh, uh, worked for a lot of different companies. At the time when you were like kind of first working on open source, were you like aware of like, let's say the financial dimension of like sharpening your skills as a programmer or was it purely just, it was very engaging and you're working with people that you like? Yeah, there was no finance thinking to it at all. Um, honestly, like then, Programming wasn't a well-paid profession, especially right. in Europe, especially in the UK. Right. I got a very, very low salary relative to what I have now for my <laughs> for the first job. Uh, but I was happy. You know, I, I was just very happy that I was working in an industry that I enjoyed having like faced that like nightmare idea of like hating it. So yeah, it wasn't financially motivated at all. And, you know, it was a different time back then, uh, 2007. You know, programming was not cool in any fashion. Like, is it cool now? Well, it is to a certain extent, right? Because of all these apps that have made people famous and everyone, everyone has a computer in their pocket. But at the time, computers were like sad, you know, for geeks. And yes. uh, I, I'd go to parties and I would uh, very much try to avoid saying what I did. <laughs> I became very good at like deflecting and talking around it. Because it wasn't cool, but then, like in 2010, when um, the iPhone released the, the App Store, in the years after that, suddenly it became cool to be working in programming. I mean, you weren't you weren't a programmer; you built apps, you know. Uh, so it was different. It was a different time. So it wasn't, I wasn't doing it for fame, glory, fortune, or uh, to like um, you know pick up uh, partners or anything. So like, yeah. Uh, it was, very much like because I enjoyed it. Right. That is interest that's an interesting observation. Like at some point programming yeah. or working on products became cool. I don't know I don't know when. Yeah. I, I mean probably when people realize you can get rich doing it. I bet the two people <laughs> That was like, definitely part of it. Like two thousand ten, ten two thousand eleven when like people made really terrible iPhone games and then made millions of dollars. Well like, yeah, a lot of people flipped. Like to to try and do that, right? especially you know, like the Mac, the the old school Mac devs at that point suddenly found they were sitting on gold mines of uh, knowledge that they previously had only been making Mac apps because they loved Apple, they loved Mac, yeah. and that they loved polishing those apps and making them beautiful and trying to make them as good as Apple, and probably most of them wanted to maybe get a job at Apple at some point. Well, those. A lot of those deaths from that time still around, and they've made some of the most important apps on the platforms. 
so it seems to me like some of the insane um uh compensation around software engineering programming is driven in part by like the greed of the investment class do you like what's been the effect as a programmer just like working in the industry and seeing like the salaries go from you know modest good good wages to just like insane wages do you think that strips out like some of the craftsmanship of writing good software and some of the passion that exists in the open source community or do you think it's like generally a positive effect yeah that's that's a really interesting question i'm really sure about before so it definitely took something away yeah I've, I've been saying this a lot lately as i've gotten into web3 stuff because I've noticed with Web3 devs is that they often embody a lot of the values that I appreciated when I got into open source programming. And I hadn't noticed the transition from when we were just a bunch of scrappy programmers who were like trying to make cool shit to, ah, now it's huge business. And then, you know, I remember when Scrum became a thing and like the idea like grated me and it still does <laughs> in many ways. Like, you know, you mentioned I worked at Apple. I worked at Apple for a year and I thought I'd be there forever, but um, could not handle it. Too organized. <laughs> I used to have to fight with my manager to try and just like try out a feature. It's like, right. I think I think this will be good, but I need to put it in the code and try it out. This is before anyone else outside of Apple knew anything about what I was working on that year. So it was just for me and like a few other people. And it was like, oh, no, no, we have to like have five meetings and plan everything, like completely uh, understand the feature completely before it's built. I'm like, I can't work out. Yeah, I, I need have... to try the feature out before I know if I've designed it right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so well, I wasn't. I wasn't a good candidate for them. They they made a mistake hiring me, and I made a mistake going there. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. But you know, it's not, it works for some people. But it, yeah, it's not it's not my sort of thing for sure. I like yeah, salaries going up and up and up just leads to more like investment from these companies in like yeah, Scrum, these sort of things to make sure that the money they're putting in is being right. utilized correctly. And um, well, yeah, I did it. I hate to say this, I'm sure. Some people listening to this podcast who might feel like this is them, but like they did attract like glory hunters, you know, like when it became cool. Before it was just people who just wanted they they enjoyed it. They they thought it was fun and they wanted to hack on these things. And then it was like, oh, and this person's yeah here because they would have they probably would have like uh, become a lawyer right I'm... in two thousand and nine, and then post two thousand ten. They just become a program. I mean, I've read some article somewhere. I don't even remember where talking about how like these big banks are having trouble hiring like the next legion of bankers because they're all going to go become engineers at Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, like the way that you position homebrew. It's like the the package manager that Apple didn't already put in there. <laughs> Yeah, the missing package manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's a, like an awesome way to kind of encapsulate like all the stuff that Homebrew puts on like your computer. Like, did you, okay, 
did you come up with that? Like, and I and I should have already figured this out before you came on. I apologize. I noticed. But like, did you figure this out before you joined Apple? Like, did Apple hire you because you devised? Yeah, I it was before Apple. Okay. And uh, well, I gotta say the the missing package manager Mac. Um, I copied that from TextMate, which used to build itself as the missing editor text editor for Mac. Interesting. Because uh, Mac does come with a text editor, but it's terrible. So <laughs> but it, the Mac really doesn't come with a package manager. Now, you know, honestly, by now it probably would have if I hadn't built Homebrew, I should think. But at the time, it was basically true. Like there was a, a little bit of competition. There was Mac ports, uh, which was the main reason I built Homebrew because I just found it to be uh, not not great, not good enough, at least anyway. Yeah, but it was adequate. <laughs> And there was another one called Fink, which was less popular. You know, and, uh, I just built the right things with Brew, so it, it really took off popularity, sure. But yeah, I hope it was before Apple, but a bit before Apple. Apple happened because I applied for Google and didn't get a job. There was a famous tweet that uh, uh, you could you can easily find. It's basically you type in my name, it's the top result. Almost deleted that thing many times, but yeah, they didn't give me a job, so I tweeted out. Ninety percent of our engineers use the software you wrote in brackets homebrew, but you can't invert a binary tree on the whiteboard, so f off. Um, which <laughs> was a very spontaneous tweet I sent when I got the phone call about not getting the job, which I did not intend to go viral and uh, cause Google so much uh, embarrassment, but. Um, well, it went very viral. Hack News was all over it for, for right. a long time. And I got a lot of invitations to interview interesting companies as a result of Apple's one. So, you know, that's when I was a super fanboy for it'd be a dream job. So I went there. Did they ever send you like a, like a cease and desist or like you're using our brand inappropriately, like given your tagline? I'm so curious. Like, how does that company operate? Or were they like, this is cool, like, programmers uh, love? No, it. I, don't, I don't think... Well, I never heard of anyone being copyrighted. <laughs> no. One of my co-workers, Carly, said that he thinks that Homebrew was part of the reason the Mac became a popular... You know, because oh, yeah. like, basically, like, uh, devs use Macs nowadays. But when I started in this industry, devs used Windows. And Not Linux really. was the uh, one that... You know, it, it was like you were more of a neckbeardy developer if you used Linux. It wasn't cool to use Linux. It was like impressive. Um, but, well, the reason I switched to Mac is because Apple switched to Intel and then OS X was Unix. And I could see how, like, I was frustrated with Linux in many ways. I, I remember there was this one week where I could, I upgraded the kernel and then my Wi-Fi stopped working. And then I couldn't fix it because I didn't have the internet and I had to like figure it out manually day for days. Just what broke and like try to downgrade my kernel without the internet to help you and things like that. And then after that, I was like, God, I do not want this platform anymore. I want <laughs> I want a platform which, uh, you know, some of these details are taken care of so I can get on with the stuff I want to get on with. So I bought a Mac for my girlfriend at the time 
and then tried it out and I was like this is nice and I started seeing all the little details that Apple put into OS X at the time that, it, that went all the way down even to the Unix layer and the way they named their files and their directories and how they laid everything out and I saw the beauty and careful decisions and all the attention to detail that went into that and yeah, I was a convert but then, like, yeah, I came from Linux. So I was used to, like, decent package managers. And there wasn't one. <laughs> I agree with your uh, friend's take on Homebrew probably increased the adoption of Mac as the programming sort of, I guess, I don't know. Plat- what is a platform? I don't know. It's like that the, word is the, used in a lot of different contexts. But maybe the first yeah. platform of choice, I don't know. I think, I think it depends who you're talking to with platform. <laughs> yeah. Meetings because yeah. yeah, it could be used all over the place, but you can't really go wrong using it. So, like, you, this it's, it's, <laughs> it's a slave yeah. choice, and people get yeah. yeah, totally. They derive their own meaning. Okay, so so Homebrew was like an open source, uh, open source project. E now is a company, both package managers. Like, can you maybe walk through? I mean, how are there's so many questions? Like, how are how is running one versus running the other different? Like, why the decision to kind of make one a company? When, you know, I made Homebrew, the, the idea of making a company out of it was, like, completely full. Right? There was some open source organizations. There, like, there was GNU, which everyone thought was kind of a bunch of weirdos, and they still are. Totally. And, you know, Mozilla was obviously a huge one at the time, and then, like, some of the more significant uh, languages like PHP had formed into charities, some sort of slight organization under there. But the money was a dirty word in open source. And that's, I think, partly because of GNU, because like the, the GNU, I don't know how much you know about GNU, but the, the main guy, Richard Stallman, is famous for being strange and uh, not wearing shoes. And uh, he he genuinely believes that if you charge money for your software, it's like a crime. It's morally like bankrupt. And well, uh, so that was a fairly pervasive attitude when I got into yeah. open source. And so in 2009, when I made Homebrew, it was still basically the case. So it never occurred to me. And I remember a few years afterwards, NPM was the first, like, what we now call commercial open source software. Right. That I, that I, the first project I knew of that had formed a company with the pursuit of trying to like build a revenue model on top of the open source. And almost immediately after that happened, I got a random cold call from some BC in San Francisco. I was like, can we make Homebrew into a company? And at the time, the idea hadn't really gone around my head at all. So I just said I didn't see how because uh, it was interesting to me, the idea. Like I wanted to work on open source full time, right? Like that's and a lot of the reason that I found it T is because that's T's primary goal is to try and fix open source funding. Yeah. And so I'd spend, you know, I, I enjoyed working in Last Fed, but when I quit Last Fed to work on Homebrew, since then I've been trying to figure out how I can work on open source full time. So I told him I didn't see how, and that was partly true, right? I didn't really see how we could do that because even at that point, a few years in, the community was so important to the project. And if I tried to like build a company at that point, even though the community had become so key to its success, I think that it would would have just led to like massive rejection right. from that community. 
and so the, right. the project would die. Um, I think nowadays you'd get away with it. People are a lot more amenable to it, but then no. And uh, so yeah, like today, uh, 18, 18, 20 months ago or so, when I founded T, uh, from the work go, I knew I wanted to try and get VC, and that I could, and that uh, it would just enable it. You know, uh, in open source, you typically don't have any marketing because you haven't got any money to do any marketing with. It, it enables so much more if you have some money. <laughs> like hiring some people who uh, you don't have a choice. Uh, they're not they're not going to be able to work on open source um, full-time free. Like the, the only times I've been able to do it were that time in between uh, giving up on chemistry and getting into the industry myself I lived with my parents I was 20 something right so that was easy uh, and in between jobs where I just saved up money and worked on stuff like I worked on over six months or between or seven and then I ran out of money and that's good job and yeah. then I you know I worked a whole bunch of homebrew while I should have been doing that job I, I felt bad for the guy who was paying me but I also gave him the great thing you know I worked at TweetDeck and um he, uh, Twitter acquired it. Um, this is a long time ago, of course. And, uh, you know, I made the Android, the iPhone apps, and the Android apps initially was like a really big deal. I think I must have helped with the acquisition side steps. Like, TweetDeck was a good thing. Like, a lot of people really liked it. It's nowadays. Totally. Nowadays is. Uh, I didn't know you worked on that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. It was uh, a little scene in London where I was at Shoreditch and, uh, so there were some cool projects scattered around. So it was easy enough to meet each of them. And, you know, it was one of the ones that was there. But it was a lot of fun, actually, that. But yeah, I did a lot of apps in between open source and did a lot of open source for uh, iPhone and Android in the uh, in the years. So, yeah, like, uh, it just made sense this time. Um, get some backing. Like, it, the, the mission that we have at T, which is to... Uh, fix open source funding it's just too important well i say to people um if t existed i wouldn't be creating t right uh, obviously but um i would be working on open source using t as the funding mechanism. Yeah. uh and maybe that's exactly what i'm going to do once this is all done you know five six years once like it's a successful uh, protocol running by itself on the internet i can step back and start just working on open source and make it pay for the system once, yeah that's uh, fine that's that's cool. Have you been able to kind of rally like your friends and kind of um, you know collaborators from homebrew uh, into tea? Has that been like a no? I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been it's been odd. Honestly, like obviously crypto has a huge like uh, skepticism associated with it. Yeah, and. You know, I, I I get it because I was I was pretty skeptical about it. I had very little interest in crypto until I had this idea. Yeah. Um, and I have the idea because I had a friend who was always trying to get me into crypto. So it's like, and I wish I'd listened to him honestly because it was so so long ago. Like I, I merged the damn Bitcoin formula into my own brew and never ran it. And like you know, this was very early because Bitcoin came out the same year as home brew. Uh, I think I merged it in twenty ten. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never really got into it. But it's only when he was like, 
I was in between things again. Like I was doing open source nodes, like just annoyed that I was going to have to stop for, for the umpteenth time because I needed to go and get a bloody wake. And, you know, I was like, can I figure out how to solve this problem this time? So I explored stuff that was new to me. Right. And I went, went down the rabbit hole. And I discovered, like, smart contracts as something that was just so much more capable than I realized. And I saw how it was automating entire classes of things that usually you'd need, like, an entire business operations department and a bunch of lawyers in order to achieve. Or, and how that could be applied, like I had a moment of inspiration, so like the package graph, and then automatically distributing value all the way through it, not just like the bits that stand out, like the reacts and the stents of the world that don't really need funding a lot of the time, at least relatively, you know, like everything needs funding, like these things shouldn't, you know, like reacts to Facebook project, right? Don't um, like that Facebook and Microsoft and Google are starting to be these sponsors in, in terms of like they actually, the people who build these things are on stuff. Because I don't trust them. And like open source is about building things that benefit everybody and not just what it is Facebook or Google or Microsoft think is important. Um, yeah. you know, I think they've done a useful job of being unbiased and keeping keeping the technology pure, but it, yeah, it's just, it's not the same as when it's a bunch of people who just intrinsically know what their little corner of the world needs. Uh, they needed this tool, they built this tool, and they understand their community. And that with T, that community is directly engaged in continuing to fund those projects. Now, you know, like people have tried lots of things like charity basically for open source for a while. So like T's difference is that like, it's not charity. Um kind of like uh put putting your putting your money where your mouth is in terms of like what you consider the true value of open source to be. And, you know, it's probably at least half the value of the software industry, right? Like everything nowadays is built on open source. That that was a surprise. Think to all of us who were in open source earlier. There was many people who were in it much earlier than me. How, you know, we were always saying that Linux is this, this year is the year of the Linux desktop and stuff like that. And we, we believed like adamantly that these were the best tools and the best utilities and the best libraries. Mm. And then suddenly over the last 10, 15 years, it really became the case. <laughs> and uh, that transition was both gradual but also very fast and so nothing changed all the enterprise software that used to take the place of that open source software used to make billions and billions of dollars a year and in those 10 to 15 years none of those billions of dollars were transferred to the people making the new things that replaced all this open source infrastructure that holds everything up right instead when two companies came in and scooped it all up and you know this is one of our things it's like well, these Web2 companies have made enormous amounts of money and they give a little bit back, a little bit here and there. And to some extent, I get the complexity with that because like, you need basically a whole department of people in order to figure out how to actually you know, give these donations to these different projects. 
So another aspect of why I believe what we're doing at will work is that it's basically automating that. We we understand the entire open source graph, use the T tooling, and it will tell you which packages you should be steeping against, as we call it. And then like Microsoft can like put, you know, uh, a reasonable amount of money there. The steeping, uh, the rewards um, are distributed to the projects uh, that steeped against, but then their dependencies and their dependencies, like it takes a small piece of each time. It's using the smart contracts correctly, right? It's just impossible for that to be uh, prevented. Like money ends up going into one of these projects. It will always go to its dependencies. Well, that project can't stop it. They yeah. can't try and hack it so yeah. that their dependencies don't get it and they keep that little extra percentage or something. And we can't either, right? Because uh, as, as the people building this protocol, you can look at it. It's open source on the blockchain. It will run how that code tells it to run. You can't stop it once it's running. So you can tell that we're not taking any of that money yeah. as a company and that it's all going into open source. Right? We're, we're building it and then we're setting it free. right? And then it will be controlled by a DAO. Now, initially, that DAO will be uh, composed of a majority people at the company. But over time, that will be transferred to the community once it's running correctly. And then, like, we're hands off. You know, I, I only want to govern as long as it makes sense. And then I want you know, the people that are part of that value system. Uh, the, the whole point is that they, they run it. They decide how it works. Do you it. ever find, like, you know, so there are certain like incentives or a vision that is like pulling you forward as the like, let's say the founding team as the founder. Do you ever feel like now that you're venture backed, that that vision is maybe in conflict with some of the incentives that are driving maybe the need for a return? And like, how are you able to maybe balance like those competing interests? Yeah, well, it's it's true, right? And like, it's, um, certainly the part which I like least about. Uh, right the capitalist aspect of our, our software world but right. um fortunately um all the interest is very much concerned with token performance right. and if we build this right then they're convinced everything's going to go well. so it it's quite aligned right. for right. the open source community and for Investors of tea. Mm. You know, it's okay. This is like sort of a, a maybe a broad question, but how does like the capitalist model of like incentives and stuff like this, like how does it explain the open source movement? Or can you explain the desire to work on open source projects through a capitalist model? I'm a greedy capitalist, but like, it's something that I wonder, like, I don't, it's hard to explain why people do it, especially before there was an insane financial incentive to become a good program. I think the projects, uh, start because of need from the, the, the person who starts it. Me. Like I needed homebrew. So I built it. I was trying to do other stuff and <laughs> it really did start as a, I'll, I'll just make a few scripts to help me out. And then it turned into something bigger and bigger. And so I was like, hmm, I should open source this. It's actually pretty good. And uh, I think it almost always is like that. So, you know, I, we've been interviewing uh, open source maintainers for a few weeks. And the, the thread that goes through conversations with them is like the sense of obligation they feel once mm. they've made something that 
actually makes a difference. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's like they these people are turning up to their project. They're like, hold it down. Like they decided to use this thing I built for some reason. But you know, I want them to get the value that they've committed to. You know, because right. tool fatigue, right? Like we we all feel a bit tool fatigue nowadays. I think where so trying something new out is it even the the trying it out part is like tedious um like you're like well maybe i can do it saturday morning and then saturday morning comes around well i just don't want to touch the computer yeah. today. so you never get around to it so certainly i've always felt that if someone's chosen to use my project i do kind of owe them something which really is very different to the current core maintainer of hybrid philosophy who's uh mike Quaid, who's Someone I worked on uh, with Linux software like years ago, and that's how we knew each other. He's still a friend, but he has the attitude that open source owes you nothing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, so like people differ on it. I've I've always felt that you know you chose to use my project, so I at least owe you a, a reasonably fast response to your bug report. And like people having bug reports, even people don't often do it. So when they do, you should be grateful really yeah. it's like hey thanks i always say that if you get one bug report it's been a thousand people who also experienced the bug but didn't report it and uh, i think for sure you know it's usually the case for sure can you can you steal man the the current maintainer of homebrew's position or do you not see any validity in his position oh i totally get it um because a lot of people turn up and have this sort of attitude of entitlement right that's true. When when they uh, write their bug reports or their tickets, they're, they're angry at you because it breaks. Yes. And, um, you know, like, you don't have any entitlement to that. Like, you, you didn't pay for the software. You're getting it for free. Homebrew is almost entirely free um, volunteer labor still. You know, even though it's an enormous project, the level of um, donations they get is very poor. Uh, they need tea as well honestly uh, which is why you know i wish they were a bit more into what we're doing but like the crypto side of things it just rubs a lot of people the wrong way i get it like there's been a lot of scams yeah it's like ludicrous really um <laughs> but is like we couldn't do it with regular money i right. didn't build what we're building so I'm hoping that T will show people that there is genuinely good utility that can be built on top of this technology. It's just unfortunate that um, there's been so much bad and dishonorable stuff that's been done with it. It's true. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's a ton of scams. One like the internet was first commercialized too, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, they still are, right? Just checking junk <laughs> folder. <laughs> Oh yeah, I totally. I love when I get like, like that. Emails ninety five percent scams, but people don't like just discount it completely as yeah. a useless technology. Totally, and people and like people kind of learn like what the right kind of <laughs> I don't know heuristics are to quickly determine what's a scam and what's not. Yeah. <laughs> right, especially with email, and that well, that's getting harder. Right, like AI generated emails are oh. here. Yeah, I got one the other day that it took me a while to figure out that it was a scam because um, it was just so personal and it knew stuff that you know it combined details from different places very clever that's insane I've 
I got a Facebook message once from somebody that clearly was a robot, but it like knew that like my mom was on Facebook, for example. And it was like, you could tell that the profile was fake, but it was like located near where I live. And it was like a nurse. And it was like, do you know this person? I'm like, this is insane. So I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're getting complicated for sure. Why do you think that there is like, okay, so why is there so much skepticism and, and, I, and I, around crypto? And I noticed this from like, like really sharp and almost sharp edged engineers. Like I don't notice it from like business people. Like I, I don't know why they're like, oh yeah, maybe we can do something there. But I notice it from like very talented software people, you know, engineers, programmers. What? Yeah. Well, um, it's deserved. Yeah. It's, it's, I, don't, I didn't even truly appreciate how much it was deserved until I got into the sector. And like, you know, if I'd known more, maybe have done this but i'm glad that we're doing it because i really do think it's gonna work but you know that's an aside it's like you got you know people making millions of dollars and you know showing pictures of lambos and jets <laughs> you yeah. know it's, there's like an so, inter- some of the profits are obscene and not really deserved uh but i think a lot of the people who made the really huge money didn't so it's also that it's the people who came after that sort of thing started happening that you know they're a little more you know if there was a way to like sell their mothers into slavery for like a few million dollars they'd be doing it those sort of people for sure they're they're there and um no one's you know made money digital before and it it brought uh, bought some uh less scrupulous people into the industry yeah it's true i mean but it's not that's not a that's not a fault of i think this industry it's just like i don't know there's people with a certain rare mix of like sociopathy and like competence that can go and you know convince people to give them 20 million dollars and then be like all right guys see ya you know so i don't know yeah, well, the, the red pools are uh, taking happened a lot of times. I mean, onto a lighter subject. So, like, te- <laughs> tell us kind of what you know you guys have. In- okay, by the way, is on tea are all of like the product metaphors like are they tea related? I imagine so. Because you mentioned steep, <laughs> steeping. There's a few. Okay, I, I didn't do it as much as so I did it with homebrew. Uh, with homebrew. Um, I looked at the general terminology people used in packaging and uh, it was terrible. So I decided <laughs> I needed a naming theme in order to just help people to understand. I wanted people to be able to very easily get into the project and I, I achieved it. Um, so I, I, I used a lot of the same terminology with T because I'm not going to make up new words just for the sake of it. So there is some, there is some, that was part of the reason for picking it. I was like, oh yeah, great. Like, um, as a brew connection that we can uh, name things after types of tea and uh, tea, tea um, the the met- methodology used for preparing it as well as instruments and uh, names for the process I was like oh that's great and then I haven't used it that much <laughs> <laughs> we use steeping in the protocol as the uh, the act of staking because um, 
we're not a layer one chain, which means that um, really we shouldn't call it staking with our chain. Staking happens at base. It's like Ethereum is now a proof of stake system. So with us, it's more like positioning token into a, a, a place and then the digital contracts uh, decide how to, what happens once you put it there. So yeah, we got our own words for it. But yeah, like not, not too much this time. Like I, I think honestly, I'm a little guilty um, with how a lot of open sources always named so cutesy nowadays. Because uh, part of the reason I picked uh, the theme and um, a, a cute name like Homebrew was because everything in open source at the time was named like what it does. Yeah. Uh, uh, everything was just so engineering. You know, there was no lightheartedness there. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to name it something completely different. <laughs> and then after that, people got a bit carried away, I think, because they saw what I did and they were like, that's fun. And now, mm-hmm. like nowadays, you've got things called completely ridiculous things, and so I feel kind of partly responsible for that. I, uh, sorry. <laughs> well, no, totally. My co-founder named like this thing that he built Zappa after Frank Zappa, so it's <laughs> yeah. he loves Frank Zappa. So it's just you know, and the and the competitor to his product was called like microservices. That was his name. so yeah. it's like you know, one or the other. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, at, at our company, we, we love like, obviously the space cowboy, the Western theme, uh, bounties, shit like that. Like we love, I mean, like that whole cowboy metaphor, it's all of that. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's good to do at a company, like helps people understand what you're doing. I mean, it's the same with anything. It's like you're, you're drilling into their previous knowledge with the metaphor. So they have an understanding about what to expect. Like it, it doesn't work at all if you bugger up the metaphors. So sometimes people do that. <laughs> That's true. It just makes it more confusing. And I mean, honestly, I have found that it's hard to maintain consistency and alignment in metaphor, like as you're scaling a company, because people like want to call things different shit, and it feels almost ridiculous to be like, "No, we call this about in this company," and they're like, "Okay, fine." So it's just, it's yeah. a weird thing to draw your line of the sand on. No, it's, it's totally necessary. Like, kind of people talking about the same thing with different words. And uh, yeah. most people don't want to admit they don't know what the word means. So they'll well, just stay well, there quietly, not understanding. And uh, then eventually you'll discover that they're the same thing. I've had to do it at tea a few times. So like, hey, we already called this this. Don't call it. And I know it's just a variable in this piece of code, but we're calling it that. So you stick with it. Like, <laughs> Don't confuse things. Yeah. How much? So, like these days, are you are you spending a, a good amount of time programming, or are you okay? Yep. Yep. Still am, but I also have to be CEO. So, like, my life's kind of like more work, no play, really, and uh, I'm stressful. I wouldn't recommend it. But um, you know, like, I'm the visionary. Basically, the company was my idea, so I need to build those fundamental pieces of what it is and then I can step back and uh, get in there you know, the package manager TT we call it um, it's almost done but I've been saying that for six months <laughs> but it really is almost done um, you know I, I do a lot less work on it now and there's not often very many back polls so it's, it's nice uh, we just recently realized that we've been talking about it wrong messaging wasn't right 
Well, so I'll be redoing all the docs and all the all the readme and like all the other stuff uh, again over the next few weeks. Uh, but the GUI, which is the complement to the Figma, uh, I for a, for a long time after I quit working on Homebrew, I was like, an app would be really nice. So I always wanted to do one, and uh, super cool how we've integrated some of these web only open source projects that usually don't get any visibility because there's no way to really use them in a convenient fashion. Like most of the readme's like. Uh, seven instructions on how to get it running and like some people put but uh, not many and then no one packages it so we have this opportunity and so we have and in the next version uh, like stable diffusion web UI is like the best stable diffusion tool because the community because of open source like it's the great shining example of what open source can produce uh, but getting it installed like there's three hour YouTube videos about this because people really want to use it especially on Windows. Uh, so we patched it up in this one click install and use it in the app, just like an app store. It's great. And uh, once we are working on Windows, which I keep saying is coming soon, and I've been saying for like 10 months now, uh, um, it'll be great for, for all those, you know, like there's, ton there's tons of people on Windows that use open source, but they don't know it. So it's all yeah. underneath. They've never used it like front. I love our graphical the GUI app because it's making it possible for people who've never even really realized that there was all these treasures in open source um, that is right there and easy for them to get. Awesome. Yeah, that's sweet, man. Well, right, where can people find T on the interwebs or find you personally? Do you want them to find you personally or you just want them? <laughs> Like, I don't really like being a personality anymore, but then like, yeah. I started this company where I am the figurehead of it. So, uh, yeah, find me personally, sure, on MemXCL on Twitter. And um, t.xyz is our, uh, our domain. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate your time, Max. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week, so if you like this episode... Be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at The Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.